Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. first weekend in October on that Saturday at Bilo. All right. So just be mindful of that today. First Kings chapter 19. I'm going to begin reading with verse number two. Amen. Read a few verses of scripture here this morning. Amen. Glad for our uh, Anthony and, and Judy and my mother-in-law and such being here. Uh, they, of course, been here for celebration for uh, Mariah. Today's Mariah's 16th birthday. And uh, whenever we first came back home, she was a year and a half. And so now here she is, 16, and uh, she was our traveling baby. Uh, we ha- we had her while we was on the road, and uh, she uh, we called her her uh, car seat, her torture chamber. But she really did really well in that. Honestly, she was probably real happy. Uh, she was a great traveling kid. She knew how to travel. She just did real well with that. And one of my favorite things, yeah, still does real well. Uh, we always joke sometimes now because Don and I are getting older, and. Uh, I am one that usually don't stop unless there's tears in somebody's eyes. All right. And so uh, it's almost getting now that Mariah and Trevor can outlast me and mom uh, with that. And she's like, Dad, I got bladder still. You taught us, you know, you, you've trained us into this. So I got a bladder still. So I used to always love to say that she's probably few and far between kids that say in the first nine months of her life, she was in 15 different states. But that's her story uh, because she was the traveling baby, amen, of evangelizing and such. But uh, we honor her today. First Kings 19, verse number two. Thank you for standing. The Bible says, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. I know that sounds a little wordy, but uh, we'll look at that here in a bit. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. For a little while this morning, just want to talk to you about this. It's enough, but you're not finished. It's enough, but you're not finished. Have you ever felt like it's been enough? Like I've had it up to here. All right. It's enough, but you're not finished. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Ask him to help us this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you today, God, for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for every song that has been sung, Lord, here this morning. I pray, oh God, minister, Lord, to the needs of people, Lord God, in this place. Let your word, God, stand upright, Lord Jesus, and help us, God, in our individual lives. Lord, will not fail to thank you, God, for what you're capable, Lord Jesus, to do here and through your word. God will love you and appreciate you for it in the love name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus name. It's enough, but it's it. You are not over. You are not finished. The prophet Elijah is a, a prophet in scripture that stands out in our minds. It seems like by his hand, so many great things was done in the scripture. 
So many miracles were wrought that the Lord used him in helping bring about. Whenever we look at the successes of Elijah, it's like, man, that's just something that I really aspire to be. But we have really no greater appreciation for Elijah than what we get from the 19th chapter of 1 Kings because it's here that we're not just looking at, per se, Elijah's successes, but we're looking at him just as good old human flesh. We're not necessarily looking at him as being a prophet as much as we're looking at him as he can identify with humanity. And I would dare to say that in all the characters throughout the Bible, we can probably identify with them the most, not where they succeed, but where they fail, where they fail, where hard times come about. Uh, We sometimes see Elijah. He was the one that was always eager to hear the voice of the Lord. Be obedient to that voice without any hesitation. He knew what he was supposed to do. But we can't identify with that always because there's times we fail in being obedient. Amen. But whenever we read that he's had enough in his life or more than what he could seemingly bear, at least it felt like that, we can identify with that. That's the reason why I believe that in the book of James in the New Testament, it's what caused James to write concerning the prophet Elijah these words, that he was a man subject to like passions as we are. Number one, he was a man. Number two, he was subject to the same things that all of us as humanity are subject to. Uh, Times of, of woe, times of loss, times of disappointment times of discouragement, times of depression, so we can identify with Elijah. And the story of 1 Kings 19 is viewed here of him going away and secluding himself and isolating himself, getting away from everything that he had done, his ministry. We view this not for the sake of excusing his behavior or excusing our behavior. See, that's what I want to do. Just find me a corner and suck my thumb in the fetal position and just go on. Uh, That's not to excuse us, but it's brought about in Scripture so that it can explain some things in our own lives. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And then in verse 2 of chapter 19, it says that Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. Jezebel is kind of the adversary, the, the villain here in the story. And so on one hand, the hand of God is upon him. And on the other hand, uh, the villain, so to speak, sends a messenger unto Elijah. What this tells me is this. Your adversary is always in competition with your God. Your adversary is always in competition with your God. And it's been that way from the very beginning. All the way in the garden beginning with Adam and Eve. When the hand of the Lord is upon somebody. Or the hand of the Lord is trying to guide somebody's life. Note well that your adversary is going to try to send a messenger, so to speak, to introduce doubt and despair and discouragement, a lack of determination in your life because he doesn't want what's going to come about, amen, in your life that God is doing through having his hand on your life. All right? And so this is what the messenger said. So let the gods, which was Baal and Asherah, do to me, all right, Jezebel's saying, let these gods kill me. And more also, if I make not thy life, Elijah, as the life of one of them, speaking of the prophets that he had killed and slain, like one of them by tomorrow. In other words, you, you killed all of the prophets. You killed all of these men. She says, and I want the gods to do even more to me if I haven't had your life by tomorrow. 
In other words, I'm going to take your life. And so what we understand here is that it is true that Jezebel had slain the prophets of the Lord. But through all this time of her on her rampage of slaying prophets, God has kept the prophet Elijah alive for three and a half years. So there's death on the left hand, death on the right hand that she is causing. But God's hand has kept his man, his prophet, alive for three and a half years, even while Jezebel was on this rampage. Amen. And so for her to substantiate her message that Baal and Asherah should kill her if she hasn't killed Elijah is really terribly empty. Because they were not even to bring, they weren't even able to bring down any rain or bring down any fire on Mount Carmel when they just had a competition about that between Elijah's God and her God. They weren't able to do anything. So it's really an empty promise for her to be dependent on her God to do anything. But there are just a few things here this morning that I believe that we're contending with in Elijah's response. First of all, Elijah was a man of God, but Let's go dial it back just a little bit more. He was a man of God, but more practically, he was just a man. He was just humanity. Secondly, we understand through his response that there is, and this is a principle, there is a vulnerability to victory. Mark in your life that whenever you've had the pendulum to swing up and, man, you're cheering about everything that's going well, watch out. Something's coming about ready to knock the wind right out of your lungs. There's vulnerability in victory. And what we do in victories is, and I'll talk about it here in a moment, we get relaxed, right? It's all over. It's done. And the second wave is coming, and we've not yet seen it on the horizon. The third thing concerning Elijah is this. Elijah really became more involved with the spiritual warfare side of things. We're going to look at these just a little backwards. The spiritual warfare side of things is this. Why would among all the things that Elijah faced, would he be affected by Jezebel's words? He's never responded like this before. Go to a mountain, seclude himself, isolate himself. He's been up against a lot of problems, a lot of circumstances. But now a woman says, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not making no playoff that it was a lady. Okay, I'm just stating the fact. Amen, that this is what I'm going to do. And he goes and he retreats and he hides himself. I mean, is Elijah having a weak moment here? Or is there something else going on? There's something I believe taking place here in Scripture. Because along the journey, Isaiah, or rather Elijah, has dealt with Ahab, which was a cruel, wicked king. He has dealt with the prophets of Baal. All of these things are just instruments, if you will. They're just puppets on the string of Jezebel in reality. The Bible says that Elijah knew per his conversation with somebody else that Jezebel had slain all the prophets of the Lord. He also knew somehow that the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove, the Bible said, they ate at Jezebel's table. They ate Jezebel. In other words, all these wicked prophets got sustenance or they were sustained by the table of Jezebel. That's in a literal sense, but if we elevate it to a spiritual sense, they got all their power, all of their energy, from Jezebel, because Jezebel throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelations, Jezebel wasn't just a woman. Jezebel just wasn't a person, but Jezebel is a spirit. That's how we read in the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, 
whenever John is writing the seven churches of Asia and there is given the, 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 con, the, the condemnation against the church at Thyatira, he says, thou sufferest that woman Jezebel to teach. Folks, Jezebel was already dead in the grave. So how in the world could he say, thou sufferest that woman Jezebel to teach? Because Jezebel's more than a person. Jezebel was a spirit. All right, was a spirit. And so what Elijah was dealing with in his day, in many regards, was more than just a person. He was dealing with the spirit of a person. Amen. That was affecting prophets of Grove and Baal and Ahab and causing this whole whirlwind that was against the man of God or this man, Elijah. Secondly, Elijah was dealing with the vulnerability of victory. In chapter 17 and chapter 18, we saw that Elijah was a strong man. He was a strong prophet of God. Amen. He, he gave a divine word from God. You know, why halt thee between two opinions? Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. If you're going to serve the gods of Baal, then so do it. But if you're going to serve the Lord, so do it. And so he, he was used mightily of God. The Bible uh, relays in the scripture that Elijah is always spoken of as the spirit of the Lord came unto him saying, Spirit of God is always talking to Elijah. He's always hearing it. He's using the word of God. He's a man of prayer. He's bringing people back to life again. He's, he, he's doing all types of things in his life and in his ministry. But in chapter 19, we see what looks like a weak Elijah. Weak in himself. Operating out of his own tactics, his own solution. And so here it is. The battle on Mount Carmel, he was victorious. A lot of lives he killed that were, were, were enemies of Israel. He was victorious. But as we oftentimes do, whenever the battle's won, we put the weapons away. Every weapon he had used up to that point of time was prayer. Every weapon he used up to that point of time was the word. But now that he's victorious, what does he do? Battle's over. Put the armor up. Put the sword up. Put all those things that brought me to this victory away. And let's just go on. I've seen it time and time again, folks, over the past several, several years of my life. I've seen it whenever people are in a spa or in a place. It's bad. It's horrible. The heat is upon them. The pressure is there. And they go and they grab the word and they grab prayer and they pray and they seek God and they're on their knees and they're crying and they're moaning and they're beckoning to God. They're doing all these things. And yet when the answer comes, when deliverance comes, We'll put the Bible in the closet, put the prayer on the shelf. You know, there's no reason to do those things now. But let me tell you, you need to continue doing the thing that brought you the victory because there's always going to be another battle. Amen. A uh, pastor, a Scottish pastor called Andrew Boner said this. He said, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Because the Bible says that whenever Satan came and tempted Jesus and he left him for a season, let's say he left him forever. A lot of you know that. He leaves you for a season, but there's a season coming. He's going to be back. I don't want to be found without my weapons, so to speak. Amen. In that moment, that is why the word warns us, watch, watch, or wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, right? Because we need to be always armed. So, so Elijah has some things against him here. The number one thing that I believe might be also against Elijah is that Elijah, here it is. This is the thing that's against us all. He is human. 
They say even the best of men are only men at best. He's human. Notice what Elijah does upon hearing this threat. He says when, the Bible says when he saw that, he escaped into the mountains, he isolated himself. He's afraid. He flees for his life. Number one, he's going somewhere that God didn't tell him to go. And that was opposite to what had happened in Scripture. God told him, go down to the brook Cherith. Go to the woman of Zarephath. She'll sustain you there. God was always directing him where to go. But this is the first place he went that God did not tell him to go. And he isolates himself. And he even requests God, won't you just go and take my life that I might die? And so up to this point in time of chapter 19, Elijah has been very faithful, amen, with his involvement to the Lord. And so what happens right now really throws us for it. This, this, this is kind of outside of the character of Elijah. This is not like him. We normally don't see him like this. And the proverbial statement comes about, I can't believe he did that. Huh? Why you see Elijah the way he normally acts and then he does this? You're like, what was he thinking? I can't believe, you said it before about somebody you've noticed and you're like, I can't believe they did that. What you're saying is they're acting outside of the way that they normally act. I can't believe they did that. And so we, we hold Elijah more liable for his response because it's just not his norm. And listen to me, although it's not his norm, it is his nature. Humanity. Humanity. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse number 20, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Humanly speaking, where Elijah was, that many of us find, maybe even there today, Elijah was at his breaking point. We all got one. Where yours is might be different from where mine is, but we all have one. We have a breaking point that it's enough point. And it may vary for every one of us, but I know it doesn't matter how whoo, holy you are, <laughs> how much of God you feel on Sunday, you have one. And it is like the job description of the adversary, what lever, what button, what, in order to find it. Amen. So we all have one. And so that's best illustrated in verse number four when Elijah says, it's enough. He shifted his attention now. He had this all-knowing, ever-present God. Amen. But now the obstacles, the trouble has squeezed in so tight, it's pushed all of that other stuff outside. I mean, he's overcome a dry brook. He's overcome, you know, an empty barrel. He brought a dead boy back to life again. Amen. He hazarded his life on Mount Carmel, seemed to be successful in all of that. But now here is a death threat upon his life. And he's like, really? You understand what I'm saying? The brook dried up and I had to move on. You told me to go to a lady that hardly had enough food for her and her boy, yet you took care of me. I raised her son back to life that died. I had 450 prophets against me and just me and you, God, and we won out. And now there's a death threat? Are you serious? It's like I've made it through all of this. And now there's more. I survived all of this. I can't believe this. I mean, the way things are going, God, this, this is really enough. Now, now this, is, this is scripture. Many of us are familiar with Job, all of the heartache that Job faced in his life. This is in Job. It says Job 14 and verse 19. This little phrase I have 
I say brought me comfort, but maybe understanding so many times in my life. The waters wear the stones. Thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. That first five words, the waters wear the stones. Everybody wants to get in that little creek bed or river and pull up those stones that are, oh, kids, man, they're all smooth. Man, you rub it on your face, it's so smooth. You know, it was jagged at one time. But it was just the persistency and consistency of the water rushing over it that sanded down the rough edges till it was smooth. And in our lives, it's that circumstance, that disappointment, that heartache that comes in and just wears the stone down. Eventually, the stone will be so small that it will just be almost like a grain of sand. What's that caused by? Some big, magnificent event? No. All kinds of events, big and small, that just constantly. Huh? It's like, that's right, Sister Addison. You know, it's just like even somebody poking you. No big deal if somebody pokes you. And, and, and Brother, Brother Malone might be okay, but if I would just continue doing this nonstop, he's going to get aggravated somewhere along the way. He's going to meet his point of isn't this enough, right? He might love me all day long, but it don't matter. It's just the, it's the, it's the little things all together. That over time wash over you and bring you to that spot that you have had enough. And so it isn't so much that Elijah has forgotten what God has done for him in every one of those episodes where he was successful. It's just the fact that here's something else. Right? It's just that here is something else. And David understood this feeling with everything inside of him and everything that he witnessed in his life. He understood the breaking point of it is enough. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 2, or 21 rather, and verse number 15, David, he says, moreover, the Philistines had yet war again. Because the Philistines was the arch enemy of the Israel. If there was ever someone they were always going to be fighting, guess who it was? Who are we fighting today? Philistines. Tomorrow, who are we fighting today? Philistines. Didn't we win that battle last week? Yeah, but guess who's on the agenda? Philistines. Every day, fighting the Philistines. They yet again had war with, the, with Israel. And David went down, the Bible says, and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And the Bible says David waxed faint because sometimes you just get tired of some of the battle after battle after battle, trouble after trouble after trouble, problem after problem after problem. As a matter of fact, the only place that the word overwhelmed, this is in the King James Version Bible, but the only place that the word overwhelmed is used in Scripture, it's used in the book of Psalms, and it's used seven times, and the majority of these times, it's a personal reference to David. You know what David is saying? God, I'm overwhelmed with life. I'm overwhelmed with this predicament. The Bible says in Psalms 142 and verse 3, he says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path in the way wherein I walked. Had they privately laid a snare for me. He said, here they are again, God. They're attacking, they're coming, and this is getting overwhelming. This is enough. Someone say amen. Matthew 14, if you'll meet me there. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's enough, I agree, but you're not finished. Matthew 14 and verse 24, a little story here in the Gospel. Let me read just a few verses here of the Scripture, at least to 30. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now, verse number 24, the Bible says that the wind was contrary to them. All right? Not only that, what that's telling me is that the wind was already boisterous, if you will, and blowing before Peter ever got out of the boat. It was already there. But throughout the verses... It speaks to us that he isn't necessarily afraid of the wind. He's only, to begin with, fearful about this image or this spirit that's walking on the sea, right? He isn't quite sure what that is. He's unsure. But later in the story, the Bible tells us around verse 30, that his heart is struck with fear because of the boisterous wind. So to begin with, it's not the wind that he's afraid of. He's afraid of this, this image that's walking on the water. It's only later that he becomes afraid of the wind. The wind was always there, though. The wind was always there. The boisterous wind, but he wasn't afraid of it. He only was afraid of the image. But something happens, right? He's been in this storm. It's been contrary to him for however long. He gets out now, beckoned by the Lord to walk on the water. So if it wasn't hard in the boat, how much harder would it be walking on the water with the wind blowing? I'm sure it's going to take a little bit of effort. I've never walked on water. You know, unless I knew where the stones were. But uh, I, I guarantee you that he's getting tired. And somewhere around the evening, the boat was met, the Bible says, with this contrary wind. And Jesus, look, the scripture tells us in verse 25, Jesus didn't come unto them until the fourth watch of the night. So that's late in the night. He's like, I'll let you have the wind for a while. I mean, we'd like God to come in the first watch of our storm, right? But sometimes he waits till the fourth watch. And he comes to the fourth watch of the night. So Peter's been, you know, he's been up against this wind for some time, let alone now walking on the water in the wind. He's worn out. Not only that, listen to me. Peter's position and relationship to Jesus has changed. He didn't fear the wind before, but now he does. Someone say amen. He fears what he did not fear before only after he's begun to walk on the water and get closer to where Jesus was on the water. So why in the world fear now? I mean, you're closer to him now than what you was when he first appeared on the water. Well, because here's the fact of the matter, folks. When you get out of the boat and you're on the water and you're walking toward the Lord positionally, you have to have greater dependence. Greater dependence on the Lord outside the boat than you did when you were in the boat. I don't think that Peter feared that God wouldn't come through 
or he wouldn't have cried out as he was singing, Lord, save me. I don't think he had any fear concerning that. But what I do believe is that he was doubtful about his ability to keep trusting in God when he needed the only thing he had to depend upon. Oh, God. I'm not in the boat now. I'm on the water. This isn't natural. This is a miracle to be walking on this and I'm getting closer to him. There's only one thing I can depend on in all that. I can't depend on my ingenuity. I can't depend on my skill. I can't depend on my intelligence. I can't depend on my know-how. I gotta depend upon God and I'm just fearful whether or not I can keep depending. Not because I'm, 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 I'm thinking he'll fail, but I think maybe I'll fail. faith Peter still has faith but the object of his faith has changed amen because in reality because at first he began with fear what's fear I tell you what fear is this is a little small definition of fear fear is having faith in the enemy fear is having faith in the enemy or what you perceive to be the enemy but God's in a, in our story in Kings Elijah calling you to a higher place of dependency on me. Higher place of dependency on me. There's a death threat on your life. And you've had that before. But now you're fleeing for your life. This is the first time that, like, you know, Ahab wanted to find him for the sake of doing away with him. He was just having trouble finding him. So you have a death threat upon your life, but now you're fleeing for your life. What's going on? Elijah's physically tired. He's emotionally a wreck. He's mentally taxed. He's worn out. The Bible says in Daniel 7 and verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. This is, this is speaking uh, in the future of the Antichrist. He'll speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times of the dividing of time. He said he, he wants to wear out the saints of the most high. Huh? Why? Because you're, he would be no competition to a rested saint. Be no competition to a saint that didn't have no ills going on in their life. Be no competition, but if I can wear them down, if I can wear them down, maybe I'll get an upper hand on them or upper leg on them. If I can just wear them down, if I can make them tired, if I can have them more faith in their adversary than they do having God, if I can create a little trouble, if I can distort over here, I might be able to overtake them. If I, if I, but if I leave them as is, I don't have any, I don't have any ability to overcome. But if I can make them feel overwhelmed, perhaps they can throw them in town and say, well, go on and take me. It's no use. It's enough. Woo! You might feel like that today, but God knows that you are not finished. I mean, Moses was over it in the Old Testament. The constant grumbling, the complaining of the children of Israel. He even finally told God. I mean, it got this bad, God. He said, why don't you just go on and kill me? <laughs> we might not tell God to kill us. But we'll let him know in no certain terms sometimes like this. God, I don't want to live this way. Have you ever said it? I don't want to live this way. You know what you're saying? 
change life or take life? I don't, I don't want to live this way. 2 Corinthians 1 and 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. Someone's like, mm-hmm. Above strength. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. You know what they're saying? It was hard, and I was like, I don't want to live this way. But God is so gracious, and God is so merciful, and God understands us so well because he came down in the form of the man Christ Jesus in order to take on the humanity that we had. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, the scripture says. He understands the frailty of our humanity and he understands the problems and troubles that come through just being human, living this life. Here's the thing. God, was never, God never told Elijah, hey, go flee for your life. As a matter of fact, whenever God shows up on the mountain, this is the question that God had for Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? There's two primary questions in Scripture that God oftentimes asks us as humans, and every time he asks them, it's for the purpose of self-evaluation. Adam in the garden, along with Eve, and he asked them, where are you? Right? And here with Elijah here, and why are you here? Some two powerful questions of the Lord for self-evaluation of life. Where are you and why are you where you're at? Because those things can really put motive. Those things can really put reason in perspective whenever we really contemplate them. Notice that each time Elijah was asked the question, he doesn't really answer the question to the Lord. If you look in, in 1 Kings 19, he just tries to validate where he is at with his answer. I'm here because of this, or I'm here because of that, or I'm here. First Kings 19, verse 5 through 7. Look at this now. Oh, this is some of my favorite portion of this, of this chapter. And as they lay, as he, speaking of Elijah, lay and slept under a juniper tree, right? Because he's wore out. Mentally, emotionally, physically, he's wore out. Under a juniper tree, behold, someone say behold. Then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. Why? Because he's tired. He's wore out. He's had enough. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great. What? Now here's something I want to look at. Ooh, I love this. Verse number five. So an angel of the Lord woke him up because the angel had been, make, been in the kitchen. Preparing angel food and water. Right? But notice, this is what I want you to grab a hold of. While Elijah slept, an angel of the Lord had prepared a cake on some coals and provided a cruise of water. While Elijah slept. Oh, God. I can't tell you what God's in the means of preparing. Listen, we're none of a superman, superwoman. Again, we all have our limits. We all sometimes got to lay down. As a matter of fact, in the Psalms 23, whenever uh, the Lord was, had David penned the, the, the 23rd Psalm about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh, everybody say maketh, 
That's the word used. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. You know what that is? Sometimes we won't lie down of our own volition, our own choosing. God's got to make us lie down. You hear me? He makes us lie down. Why? Because we all have our limit. But while you sleep, while you sleep and in your consciousness, it's like nothing's going on. The Lord says, I got an angel of the Lord over here providing a little food on the fire, a little water. It's going to wake you up. It's going to tell you to eat it and go on the strength of it for many days. While you sleep, what are you saying? God can do it without you. God can do it without you. You don't have to press on and bullhead through. You can take a nap and rest and let God do the preparation while you sleep. While you sleep. Amen. God didn't tell Elijah he would sustain him on this mountain. But the grace of God provided for him anyway. Elijah slept and the Lord prepared. Whew, I like that. And I, I don't want to give Elijah too much of a bad rap. And this is just kind of a side note commercial. Maybe we'll preach about it some other time. But this is in the Mount Horeb. This is the very same mount. That Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory. And he talked to God about his graciousness. And the Lord said, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, which is another interpretation is I'll put you in the cave of the rock. And I'll let my glory pass by you and you'll see my hinder parts. And he, he gave this grace to God. Could it be that Elijah wanted to get to the same mountain and the same cleft? He says, because I know God showed grace to Moses there. Woo! I wonder if I'll find him there myself. Amen. So it's important. It's important. Amen. As Elijah did to take notice of what God does for us while we're sleeping. Because there's been many times, listen, there's been times in my life I've been, you know, you've been there. Energy gone, physically, body has been exhausted. There's been times even for preparation, sometimes for, for Sundays and such, you know, staying up four more hours past midnight wasn't going to get the job done. You know what I do? I go to bed. Undone. Not done. Not finished. Sometimes it's like it wasn't even started. But the Lord will wake me up in the morning with a few little thoughts, scribble down on a piece of paper, come here and preach, and God minister to somebody's life because God has the ability to prepare while I sleep. When I'm worn out, exhausted, just done with. That's where dependence goes heavily on God. Psalms 127 and verse number 2. It says, it is vain. Someone say vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. He said, he said it doesn't advantage much for us to get up early and pace the floor and wring our heads and go to bed late because we're worried. We're trying to figure out How's this going to all work out? He says, you need to just go to bed. <sighs> you need to go to bed. Now, there's a little switch here. Watch me here now. There's a little switch here because he goes to that, from that in verse 2, to this fact of, low children are a heritage. The psalmist is talking about children. He's talking about you worrying, fretting over stuff. You don't need to stay up and do that. Go to bed. And then he talks about, low children are a heritage from the Lord and the benefit of the children. He even tells us even later that those children, this is important, those children will contend with the enemy in the gate. What's the deal here? I mean, that's kind of a weird switch. Kind of a weird turn. 
the Lord's trying to convey to the psalmist, says, while you think staying up longer hours and pace the floor and all that's going to be productive over what's going on in your life, while you think that's going to be productive, he says, you're not going to be productive until you're not going to be. Let me say it like this. While you think staying up is going to be productive, he said, you'll only be reproductive if you go to bed. Now, I'm not trying to be in a rude and crude. There's a literal sense to that, but there's also a spiritual sense to that. You'll be reproductive. You go to, you need to just to relax and depend upon the Lord. For that matter, and this is just a side note with the literal, studies show it's more difficult for a mama to conceive when she's stressed out. You need to just chill. <laughs> it was only after Elijah's rest and Elijah's refreshment do we see that he gets a new commission from the Lord? All right, a new commission. God was not necessarily in the things that he could see or feel, but once again, something that Elijah was always sensitive to, he was in what Elijah could hear, the voice of the Lord. This is what Elijah had been trained to recognize through his ministry, the voice of the Lord. Because if he always took in dried up brooks and meal that wasn't enough, and went off what he could feel and look at. It's going to add insult to injury concerning his stress level and everything else. He had to be trained to hear the voice of the Lord. And this is what Elijah had been trained to recognize. So in 1 Kings 19 and verse 15, and I'm, I'm trying to hasten. The Bible says, the Lord said unto him. This is him in the isolated mountain. Him that had requested that he might die. Him that's tired and worn out, but's been refreshed by the angel food, cake, and water. <laughs> And the Lord said unto him, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Hold on. You're telling me to go back. God, I said this was enough. He says, yeah, but I'm telling you to, you got another round in you. Go back. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ebomah. Mehola shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. You know what? God is reassuring Elijah. I know there's certain people out there, Elijah, that's predicting this is your end. I know Jezebel said you're going to be dead tomorrow by this time. I know there's certain people out there that's predicting that it's over and this is your end. He said, but I'm telling you, I'm not finished with you yet. You never see Elijah anoint the two kings. But he did, according to the scripture in the next, played out in the next few verses, he did throw his mantle over Elisha's shoulders. And Elisha then ministered unto Elijah. And he would become the product of Elijah. And then it was Elisha. Uh, what many talk, call the son in the gospel for Elijah. It was Elisha that would do the double miracles of what Elijah did. All right. Furthermore, it would be Elisha. Because the anointing that was on Elijah came on Elisha. And it would be Elisha that would command a man, a prophet, to go and anoint Jehu as king over Israel. And listen, it would be ultimately Jehu who would be riding, riding into a town. And up in the window area was Jezebel. 
She had tear her head. She was all ready. Amen. And the, the Bible says that Jehu asked for the servants up there to throw her down. And they did. And he trampled his horse upon her body. It would be ultimately Jehu that would be responsible for the death of Jezebel. Now get this. This was the lady that, that Elijah was afraid of. This is the lady that he ran away from. This is the lady that he tucked, tailed, and isolated. But because he took in his spirit that he wasn't finished, what he anointed and laid his his mantle on would turn around and take the life of the very thing that was causing him the havoc because he wasn't done. It wasn't over. He didn't take the final word that you have nothing else in you. He says, I still got one more anointing in me and I'm going to anoint that man and that man will turn around and take care of his villain and his... Folks, you might feel like it's enough, but you are not finished. Stand with me if you will. That's right, Sister Addison. That is right. You are not finished. So in essence, whenever Elijah was going on beyond what was doomsday for him, whenever he went on and anointed Elisha, you know what he was doing? He was anointing a vessel of victory for himself. His obedience paid off. Strong hand of vengeance against him. But he wasn't finished yet in the eyes of the Lord. So I want to encourage someone here today. If you had it up, you know, you say, well, you have it up here. And then you have it up here. And then you can't even get as high as you've had it up to. If you've had enough, you're not done. You're not over. Sometimes it just takes a shifting of our dependence level from on ourself to being squarely on the Lord is it is it fearful yes not because God fails but because we feel like we might we feel like we might hallelujah can we bow our heads all across this place today God's here to help someone today you might be worn out you might be like David and you feel overwhelmed you might have lost sleep you have ran the dialogue over, over in your mind. If you're like me, sometimes you strategize and you plan, you know, a way out or somehow to fix whatever's going on. You do all this in your mind. And at the end of the day, you are so tired because you have ran your mind constantly on how to fix it, how to do it, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to. But God might be trying to make some of us just to lay down for a while. And while we sleep, while, he's, while we sleep, he's preparing something. Hallelujah. And he's wanting us to partake of whatever he's preparing. And the Bible says that Elijah went in the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights. Notice what he said. He said, because the journey's too great for you. But when the Lord is telling us the journey is too great for us, he's never saying it's too great for him. He's never saying it's too great for him. God is here this morning. If you need to pray, if you need to come to the Lord today and take those, those, those ills and take those pains and those problems and those troubles and everything that's overwhelming to you, I, I admonish you just to take them and push them over on the Lord today. Push them over on the Lord today. Step out of the boat. The wind's already blowing. There's boisterous winds already. Step out of the boat. Walk on the water. Draw near to him. 
And if you start to sink, just cry out to him. He'll save you. But you just need to toss those things upon the Lord. Because although it's been enough, hallelujah, he, he's not finished with you. You're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. There's still something in you. God still has some things for you. Hallelujah. If we can just lift our eyes above the clouds of doubt and fear and dismay, all those things that would love to come and just compromise our belief, those things that would like to come just to wear us out to the place that they could tip us over now. Because you're a challenge as long as you're strong. You're a challenge as long as everything's doing well. All of this has just come to try to weaken you to a place that you can be overcame, to weaken you to a place that you can be snubbed out. But God's not finished with you yet this morning. God's not finished. You're not finished. These altars are open. Brother Mason, if we can prepare a song today. I wish someone would come. As a matter of fact, as many as would that would be uh, participating today, would you just come? Find a place to stand or kneel, lift your hands. We all have our breaking point. We all have that one lever or just one one push button away, so to speak, to where it's over the top. And I've had enough, God. Hallelujah. Oh, but he's faithful and he's gracious and he knows where we're at. He knows the path that we take. He knows our trouble. He knows our ills. He knows the feelings that well up inside of us. Hallelujah. He knows that feeling of overwhelmingness that somehow just captivates us and at times pulls us down beyond measure. God knows. God knows. God knows. Oh, yes, he is. Hallelujah. He goes before me. Yes, he does. Hallelujah. Defender behind me. Oh, I won't fear. Come on, somebody. Oh, the Lord is with you. He might make you lay down, but if he does, he's preparing something. Oh, my cup's overflowing. Hallelujah. No weapon can harm Oh, yes. Oh, Listen to it. You're not alone. Restore 
and thank him for being that comforter he's a God of all comfort hallelujah he walks alone beside us hallelujah he's one that we can lean on that's dependable and sure and certain I love you Jesus today for we bow our heads this morning I'll pray a prayer of dismissal over us God I'm so grateful today God that you're one Lord that we can confide in that you're one that we can run to You're one, Lord Jesus, that we can cast all of our care on, Lord, when we don't know what else to do. God, and even, Lord, when it first begins, if you would be our first, Lord, solution rather than our last resort, I pray, oh God, that you are there. God, you watch mindfully, Lord Jesus, over our lives and over our paths. God, you see what come and what go. You see, Lord, the second and the third wave that hits time and time.
time again. Lord, your hand is regulated on the dial, knowing the problems and circumstances. I pray, God, teach us, God, to lean upon you. Teach us, oh Lord, to lean upon you. Put our faith and our trust in you. God, knowing, God, it's not finished yet. God, you still have something in us, Lord God, for your kingdom, for your glory. God, there's still another mile, God, that we can go. Still a second wind, God, that we can get. Lord, that will propel us forward. Lord, in this life, I pray, God, be with your people today. God, strengthen them. Encourage them. Help them to feel the hand of the Lord. God, with it on their elbow, keeping them, Lord Jesus, in the upright position. Lord, as they walk, Lord, on the storm and as the waves are contrary, knowing, Lord Jesus, that you will never leave nor forsake us. You will be with us always, even until the end. God, we put great confidence in that. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. Amen. Thank the Lord today. Hallelujah. He's my comforter. Always holds me close today. Amen. Thank you for being here in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. We're so glad that each of you were here. Our guest was here. We're glad to have Cassie with us this morning and her children today. Amen. With us as well. Amen. Please come back. Service tonight, of course, is at 6 o'clock. Amen. Today is at 6 o'clock. And so come be a part of service. Amen. But outside of that, have a great afternoon. Amen. May the Lord be with you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Shake hands with somebody. Amen. Today, tell them how glad you are to see them in the house of the Lord. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.